we're back for the first podcast of 2022. Adam, we're back in the building. Yeah. You haven't been on this one for a while, have you? Well, we're about to drop some knowledge bombs with yourself and our special guest today, Alex Hoskin. I'm sure that a lot of the Flinders students that are currently studying or have studied before are very, very familiar with yourself. But please introduce what you've done and I guess what you do currently. Yeah, cool. Um, so probably if we go right back, probably won't go back to high school, but out of high school, did five years in the military. Um, ended up finishing here in Adelaide um, in Seven Area, Recon Platoon. Outside of that, graduated, rolled straight into um, uh, undergrad. So I studied at UniSA, did exercise sports science. Then went on to do my master's at EC, uh, ECU, which is where we met Adam. Um, awesome program. Probably when we could discuss that and the structure of it. I probably regret doing it full time, but I wanted to sort of tick that box because mature age student felt like I was already behind in my career. Wanted to get it done and jump straight in. Um, lucky enough during that time was working sort of in S&C in personal training um, and a blend of that and still currently do and now graduated working at Flinders Uni in a variety of different roles so luckily still doing heaps a bit of S&C we've got an athlete program there which we can talk about if you are a Flinders student and you are an athlete look up uh, Flinders Uni Sport and Fitness our ADP is awesome um, but we can chat about the structure of that um, and then casual academic work and then <clears throat> Work for myself uh, under higher ground performance. So yeah, that's basically me. Do I sleep? We actually talked about sleep before the podcast. <laughs> I put a high priority on sleep of eight and a half, nine hours. Just make every minute kind of work. I don't know if yeah, trying to push out a lot of a lot of work. Um, it's slowly wearing me thin. I think, but we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have a balancing act with that, but you yep. clearly do a lot on the plate. What got you into? I guess. It was in the military, was it? Yeah, yeah. What got you into that? Um, that's a good question. I have a little bit of military history that sort of skipped a generation, which I was quite proud of and wanted to continue on. Also, like, I think this is a little, an interesting sort of thought, but I felt like I was part of a warrior class that a lot of people might feel like. You've sort of got those, like, first responders and military and firefighter, and often people kind of feel like a little bit lost in this sort of regular nine-to-five and kind of get that from the military. You get it from paramedicine or cops, basically talking to other people. But yeah, probably had that drive to really push beyond normal limits. And I think it's really good from like with the military or cops or something, you get pushed outside of the normal realm, like probably beyond what's necessarily legal in society. Mm -hmm. So it builds that mental toughness, but also builds like a lot of structure around life. So you see some young guys go in and build this like pretty hectic structure and then be really successful it can go the inverse though once you leave that structure is so ingrained you don't know how to operate in a world where people are literally just making shit up as they go that's yeah <laughs> i can imagine that'd be frustrating because like i'm a i think i'm a fairly regimented person but nothing like the guys i know say you and a few others that have served a fairly decent amount of time like the structure that you guys lived in versus my version of structure is still entirely different levels so then when you come out and there's people that are just flailing about, you must be like, dude, what the fuck? Did you have that period of time where it's like the few months up? I'm not someone that's come from the military or anything like that, but the first few months after uni, I felt lost because it was like, what do I do now? There's nothing set in stone for me. How did you feel after five years of that? Yeah, it's funny. I think I had a relatively smooth transition. Like I actually started doing some like, well, I had probably two, three CrossFit classes a week coaching because CrossFit's huge in the like military community. And I'd already been a PT, so I decided I was like, I'll start coaching a little bit, see if I can transition. So I'd already established a small role for myself outside of the military. Um, and I already knew that I wanted to take my military knowledge and previous PT experience to back into the fitness industry and ideally in high performance. Mm -hmm. My transition, I would say, was easier because I, I had a bit of a mindset of where I wanted to take it. Um, it but like that transition was still brutal. Like... I did not make it easy for myself. Within a week of discharge, I was starting uni and moved into my new house and mortgage. So I remember unpacking my couch and then at one point just laying on the floor, staring at the ceiling, like, why did I make three significant life choices, like life choices and changes in this one week? They never happen one at a time. Nah, they? it's just, it was dumb. <laughs> it's an all or nothing situation. Were you completely set on moving into coaching when you were already, when you were still in the military? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like, Recon Platoon has this sort of physical culture. Like, you don't get into Recon Platoon unless you're a fitness addict. Like, yeah. it doesn't happen because the fitness course, that, well, the selection course is basically a fitness course trying to kill you for yeah. five weeks. So if you're not physically ready, no one's getting in there by accident. Yeah. So the culture around that is very much like we train two, three times a day. It's all about just getting absolutely optimal fitness um, and in sort of all aspects of fitness. So I already had that mindset. And then once I was promoted, brought that to my infantry platoon and was able to be given that structure and build out training programs. So I already was kind of doing it in an unofficial role. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Do you think then, so say having that experience, which is in, in this industry, very different to the overwhelming majority. Like, I, I don't know, I imagine America's different because they have such a higher volume of people go through their military compared to us. Mm-hmm. That's really rare here. Do you think that's changed much about the way you coach? Uh, it probably did early. And I honestly feel like I've gotten a little soft. Okay. So coming out, I would just like... No issues with putting people through pain if I thought it was necessary. On and being soft, though, do you think you've had to, or that's just the way it's kind of happened? Um, Is that adaption or just slow change? Maybe a little bit of both. Um, I, I probably didn't jump straight into team sports. I yeah. probably could have kept it across in a conditioning-based sport, or I don't know if you put me in charge of a triathlete program, I'd happily push yeah. people to suffer a little more. Yeah. Maybe it was just through selection being more skill-based sports that I didn't see it necessary. Yeah. Um, also, I think personal training took a huge step back through the 90s, early 2000s when it was a lot of just suffering. Like, I'm just going to cr- like cripple this person for the next week. I'm going to give them the worst doms I've ever had. Yeah. And you kind of you see that a lot in CrossFit too, like pride of just being like crippled by a workout. And I was like, it's just not constructive. And that's honestly how growth. a lot of early PTs sell themselves, early PTs, exercise scientists, whatever, mm-hmm. they sell themselves on how much can I tear this person a new one. Yeah. So they're like, I must be getting results. We've all seen it as well. Like you get, and We're, I've seen it from really experienced PTs. They're like, my sessions are the hardest. Yeah. And it's, it's weird how that infected other places that it was never meant to. Like I've seen yoga teachers that are like, my class is super hard. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yoga, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm all for a challenge, but like, for sure. I'm not going to yoga looking to get crushed. It's funny, probably just having this conversation, it's potentially an educational thing. Because it's like, like you said, it's any young coach, like, I'm going to destroy these people. They're going to they're gonna talk about this workout for the rest of their days. Yeah. Whereas, like, now a big part of my philosophy is minimal effective dose, do no harm. You do not get that from a first-year sports scientist. It's like, they've generally come from a hard training background. They can ride the toughest workouts, where it's yeah. like... If I can make you better at your sport, reduce injury risk, and you not you don't even know that you've trained, you probably feel more mobile. You're not beat up. You're not walking around limping from like yeah. from soreness. 100%. Like, isn't that our role for them to be able to train and perform it completely? Our number one thing is keep someone on the field. Yeah. After that, we can make them faster, well, jump higher. Like you pretty much said everything. I think like when people say, "How does this help my sport?" It's like, well, directly it doesn't. But indirectly, if you can spend more time on the field, then that's going to make you better. Mm-hmm. And that carries across whatever your sport is. Like, you know, some people fight, some people run, some people play like a team tactical sport. Some people play chess. Bit tangential on chess, <laughs> but like, if you can spend more time practicing the sport, then you will get better at it. And this is the platform that provides that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But and that can be a hard sell for people because unless they've had a big injury history, then they're like, I've never had an injury. I don't need to be yeah. like injury proofed or anything like that. Like I'm good to go. I'm like, well, the more K's you tick up, the longer you've been playing, yeah. it might have not, you might not perceive that as an injury, but it's potentially still like a low grade soft tissue issue yeah. that can rear its ugly head if you're not training properly. Sport training versus clinical training is no different. Until someone suffers an event, they won't invest in it. Clinical being, I've had a heart attack. I need to do something about it. Sport being, I've had an injury. I need to do something about it. Until you have that heart attack, you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Until you have that injury, you're not doing anything. So that education in that first hour, week, two weeks, it's essential. Especially here, like a lot of our long-term athletes now that have been here from basically the start, like say Sean or whatever, started as rehabs and then hung around. And then when they came back from their injuries and went, oh, I feel better. Maybe there's something to this. And they kept doing it. Yeah, I actually listened to your podcast with Victor. And he was talking about that. People come in for rehab and be like, oh, like I'm performing better, I'm feeling better. Maybe there's something to this. Yeah. And that's why like sometimes rehab, just the concept of rehab, and even that prehab term, I'm kind of yeah. overhearing that term. Um, it's just good, good quality training. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And often the rehab process does look significantly different, depending on the severity of the injury. Yeah. But even like an overload injury or any sort of like tendinopathy or anything like 
that protocol could easily be put into someone's like like uh, off season or like late preseason sort of sure. stuff. Like those protocols are very similar. That's it, and I think especially like you mentioned, as athletes develop, they get older, and oftentimes they start to buy more into this because you play elite level sport at any any sport it doesn't matter. Someone's going to get hurt at some point. So as they all start to have experience and injury and there's constant niggle, something's always sore. Like you would have felt this in the army. I feel it with being crap at jujitsu. So I can't (laughs) imagine what it's like if you're good. You know, something's always sore. Something's always bothering you. So that that line between rehab and healthy training gets so blurry that you're basically struggling at all times anyway. And I think unless you're at the elite level, you probably don't even understand that like Oh, like maybe you get an injury. Say you already are training in a, in a good quality program. You resistance train to go to the gym twice a week. As soon as you get some sort of niggle, the first thing that gets pushed, I'm like, oh, I obviously can't go to the gym and lift weights. But often that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. I, had, I had a soccer player come in literally this morning to one of our ADP sessions. Back was sore, but she knows that there's plenty of great stuff that we can do, work around it, probably get her moving better and feeling better before the session's up. And she can leave like with confidence. Um, and we saw that, like, yeah. got great, great quality training. And I even said to her, I was like, if I had looked at this session before we had adjusted it, I would have been like, that's a great session. And I would have adjusted it. That could easily be an awesome session for a quote unquote healthy athlete. Yeah. But we were just working around it. That's it. Just okay. doing unilateral variations and stability based stuff. Not You promote blood flow to recover quicker. For sure. Yeah. And you got to learn that though, because it doesn't make sense. Like it's kind of counterintuitive, especially to a lot of athletes that have been sold that especially like the earlier myth of getting crushed where you go to the gym and get crushed and if I'm sore it's going to make me worse and, and you know that step out process but mm-hmm. it's like no we're not going to do that it's not what we're doing here it's a completely different methodology Yeah, you get your soccer player and it's like oh shit I feel way better and the, you know as that image starts to turn it is getting there but I had someone a couple of weeks ago say oh I can't come into the gym on all these days because they're training four nights a week now it's like I promise you if you come in in the morning you can do both I'll alter what we need to, but you could basically run the same program. One of the other athletes who's been around a little while was like, oh, you'll feel way better if you train in the morning and then like sort of work out in the morning and go to training at night. Counterintuitive to her though. So it's going to take yeah. some experience before she actually starts to believe in the idea. That's what's tricky. Until someone's been in a good quality program and seen like this sort of environment you guys have here, they're probably just pic- picturing like American football weights room getting crushed getting crushed on some heavy cleans and heavy deadlifts and yeah. everyone squats and does heavy bench and like yeah I, if I did that and then tried to go out to a field session sure I'd feel like shit too yeah, like 100% aside from the fact that you didn't sleep how did you juggle paying off a mortgage studying working and working at yourself um that is hard for sure I pro like before studying online was cool like that was kind of what I did. Like I, I wouldn't go to lectures if I didn't have to. Like, and it's pretty rare. And this is a big fault of uni is you, lectures aren't interactive. It's very rare. Like a lecturer is going out of their way to create discussion. The good ones will. And I would deliberately go to those topics when they did. But there were very few and far between. I had a few. I think it was Grant Tomkinson or Tomlinson. He literally just put up slides and started talking. The slides had nothing to do with it. What he was actually talking about, they were just there for show. And he made it interactive during that. That was probably one of the best experiences that I had during uni. But yeah, yeah, I I agree. I mean, we went, we were only a couple of years apart in the same degree. Mm -hmm. I can come up with maybe three properly interactive lecturers that we ever had. Yeah, which is sad, but it's hard because people do just want tell me what's on the exam. Yeah, and like we're having a general discussion. You can, like, a lot of people that are disinterested and just there to get their piece of paper, they know it's not in the exam. They're going to tune out, if not, just turn the turn it off completely. But that's one of the most powerful things. Like, everyone talks about, like, oh, why do you go to conferences? I'm like, because the discussions in the hallways are phenomenal. Like, this sort of stuff. Like, S&C coaches just spitballing and just sharing ideas is so powerful. To have that on a real high-end lecturer who's been in the industry for 20, 30 years, hopefully with some practical experience as well, just to be able to have discussions with young coaches would be huge. Yeah, I think like when we were together in Perth for the ECU Masters, where you do a two-week intensive, if you're not familiar with that ECU Masters, the conversations we had out of the class was as, it's like double educational what you expect it to be. Mm -hmm. Because the conversations you have with all these people who are coaching is unbelievable. And then, you know, you get people like Barry and whatever that have been coaching 20 years, Mm. what you can drag out of them is unreal. Yeah, and it's so hard to replicate because it only works if you're passionate. And you you've got and you've got time, <laughs> like yeah, like back to your original question. How did I make that work? It, it's really just prioritizing stuff. 
Probably a big one for me. The only way consistent training gets done if there's a plan. So yeah. like people are always like, oh man, I can't afford to pay a coach. Like, do you, do you understand how much fr- mental freedom and consistency you have if you show up to the gym and there's a plan? And you don't have to think about it. You just execute the plan. You know that it's going to, like in six or 12 weeks, however long the, the plan is, it's going to work. You've, all you do is show up and do the work. And that is so much freedom. There's n- doesn't cost that much online. Nah. For all you pay for a gym membership, you could probably get the same amount. Oh, you train at Dairymates for what, eight bucks a week? You get a coach that might cost you 20, 30 bucks a week. You get a really good quality program. And then, well, I mean, it. you're going to tick off your goals. You want to spend the next 12 months bumming around stealing stuff off Instagram and then basically not achieve almost anything. At the same time, it's educational for yourself too because you're studying in that degree and now you're putting in a program that someone else has written for a reason. Yeah. And you'll be able to tell what's good and what's bad in that by experimenting with it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing as well. At 20 bucks a week, there's some coaches writing programs at that or even cheaper that are legit dudes as well. Like these aren't shitty programs from some back alley guy that's got a Cert 3 MPT. Not mm. to write that, but there's a lot of people selling crap programs online. But yeah, 20 bucks a week, you get some really good ones. Like yeah. Max Schmazos, I don't even, I think it might cost like 10 or 12 or something. Like it's really cheap. And you, you're, you're going to learn. You're like that education piece is huge. Like, oh, we have placement students. I'm like, oh, have you ever done like a five three one or something like that? It's like, oh, no, nah, I never heard of it. Or like, try Phasic. Like, buy, buy the book. You buy the book. It's an amazing resource. You've got programs forever. You could literally not write another Triphasic program and just copy what's in there. And it's you, educational, and you're going to learn heaps about yourself. Yeah. If you don't want to spend the money, go find a free program. Joe DeFranco's Skinny Busters program. Yeah. There's your four days per week. Oh, Done. You can find all the triphasic stuff online if you don't want it in a really convenient text. Triphasic for high school is free on Carl's website. Like 531 is on T Nation for free. It's everywhere, yeah. It's like you can find all of these programs and like pick one and run it for six months. And you know, a degree is three years if you do it full time. If you run six different programs for six months each, The you'll be so far ahead of your classmates that most of them will never catch you just for that. And you'll probably yeah. be jacked too. That never hurt anybody. Yeah. yeah, and at least you know how it's gonna feel week 12 when the bar's really, really heavy and you deload weeks the next week and you feel absolutely like shit. And like, I'm getting weaker. I'm like, cause you're a little bit overdone and that's what the deload week's for. And then you'll feel a million bucks. Yeah. You probably get sick in your deload week and feel like shit as well. But my second, after that, you'll bounce back and be sweet. My second internship, I remember someone writing for a group of athletes that was very weak in its upper body as a group. Sets of 10 in the bench press followed by sets of 10 in a reactive chest pass. Like nice. dropped from a box. And I was like, dude, you got to do this and tell me if you still want to ride it. Yeah. Because it's just, you see, so same as I'm sure you get with placement students, like they write something like we need to try that and then get back to me if you can still give it to them. And if yeah. you do it and say you still want to run with it, we'll give it a go. But it's a good it point. And but you- even like, um, oh, there you go. No, 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 please. I was going to say like, often in SNC, it's like you've got 30 minutes with a football team and you come up with this amazing plan. I'm like, dude, that's going to take 90 minutes. They're going to come in already fatigued. They're not going to be able to build up to those sort of percentages. Like you need to experiment with this stuff. You need to know what it feels like to put 85% on your back of your back squat and try to hit a set of 10 because it's not going to happen. Yep. And you were mentioning that you almost had a softened approach from when you left the military. You can find out what it feels like to do German volume training and then have to go for a run on the field next day. It sucks. Yeah. So don't do it because they're going to be affected in their sport. I literally thought exactly the German volume training when you said 3x10, 3x10. I was like, man, if you even think German volume training is a good idea, just give it a go. Yeah, like, yeah. just try it once. I am huge in CrossFit is the Smolov program. Yeah. I'm like, well, guess what? <laughs> you haven't been back squatting for the last 20 years. You're not an elite level weightlifter on performance enhancing drugs. You haven't maxed out every possible opportunity to get your back squat better. You don't need this in your life, I can assure you. I ran that when I was 19 with a back squat 1RM of 105 kilos and blew my knees out of the seam twice. I tried it three times. I made sure I got the last one done. <laughs> but it's still the hardest shit I ever did. And it's I, so excessively unnecessary. I did the cube method, which is about nine weeks. And every time I hit week six, seven, I just... I just wanted to cry not going into my session having to do 3 by 8 deadlifts remember Jazz falling apart at the scenes when he did genuine as it's written daily undulating periodization man and just blew apart but but the experience of doing that is so powerful of like now I know what I won't do and maybe back squatting four times a week is dumb <laughs> yeah especially when it's super heavy every time like and as a coach, you need to have those experiences. You also need to know when you might have written an awesome program, you've even done the program, 
and you can see at week three, it's not having the response you're expecting from your athletes, and you need to have the confidence to be like, all right, I fucked up. We need to dial it back. Yeah, and we need to reset. Like, we're going to deload two weeks early because we've done way too much in these yeah. first three weeks. What got you, I guess, to go into a master's of SNC? You have that background, and to, I guess, go into a bit more teaching as well. The teaching was just right place, right time, I think. Like, if you've spent enough time on a campus, you start to get a bit of a reputation. Um, Wife Linda's out of all places. Wife Linda's? Yes. So, one of my first casual jobs outside of uni, just con- sorry, outside of the army, was just conveniently, I started working two hours a week at, cro- at the CrossFit club there. Yeah. They've got a student-run club. Did two classes there a week, which has now basically turned into my full-time role, just at the university. But the only reason I was there was because of two hours a week. I was driving 40 minutes for a t- for two-hour block and driving back 40 minutes. But it was an opportunity and a foot in the door into an industry I hadn't been a part of for five years. So it was huge. And to be honest with you, I needed a little bit of a push because I was like, that seems a little irrelevant. And then mentors were like, you need to just get in. Like two hours a week doesn't seem like anything. You don't know where it's going to lead. I've been there six years. It's now my full-time income. So like, it's been huge. Like, um, yeah, that just rolled from casual work, CrossFit into a contract with the, with, uh, the gym and now part-time contracts with the uni. But just, yeah, just jumped in and had to go for it. And what do you find great about the Masters? Adam's gone through it. What do you find great about the Masters? The Masters was like trying to drink from a fire hose <laughs> if you do it full time. Oh. And I, we have undergrads all the time finish at like exercise science. Like, what do I do next? And like, if you're really set on HP or high performance, it's probably an awesome option, but doing it full time is probably a terrible idea. If you're a third year and you are really new to the industry, you might not even coach yet. Hopefully you've got some coaching experience by your third year, but you guys are are big on that topic. (laughs) Trying to get in early and getting at least part-time or like uh, voluntary work, you need to get in early. But if if you haven't, doing that course is not necessary. But if you are already working in the industry and you want to sort of keep your skills updated and topped up, one subject a semester would be awesome. You could really enjoy it I pull up my notes, like I reckon I would probably go into a lecture once a week. Like, what I knew was as, as I'm consuming this content, I was like, I am not taking all of this in. I'm going to do my best to store it, take really good notes and come back to it. And I reference my slides all the time. That's probably the worst thing people do in uni. It's like, I'm going to get to the end of the exam and then I'm going to delete everything and it's gone. And they're like, oh yeah, I'll just sign back onto uniSA.com and check up on the slides from six years ago. It ain't there anymore. It's, it's gone. gone. Yeah. <laughs> and people don't realize that until they, they miss their first undergrad and like, oh, wow, I paid for that undergrad. Most of it's gone in one ear out the other and I've saved nothing from it. Yeah. So wicked course, highly recommend it. Um, but probably dial it back to one subject a semester, maybe two. Is it um, for the more experienced coach or is it somewhere intermediate? I'd say it's towards the advanced. Yeah. I mean... It really is. It's it's a tailored S, like into strength and conditioning. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are. There's some topics there that would be really good for third year undergrad. Like, well, they've been their fourth year of study. I think you could easily enjoy each subject one at a time. If you were going to be a third year undergrad, and you're 100% sure you want high performance. You could do it and then just chew away at once one one the semester. You're still going to finish it in three, oh, what two and a half years, plus the intensive. You'd be better for it for sure. I think you could jump in straight away. But, I mean, we even saw Barry. So Barry was, Arsenal was SNC coach. He was doing the course. The dude just wanted a little bit of a top up on skill, on like some skills and knowledge and had to just get some sort of like um, PD work done. He was still getting stuff out of it. The dude yeah, had been high level. set of notes anyone I saw in there. He was taking yeah. the most notes. So that, like it was that's a great the, point. It's the first years, you know, undergrad, postgrad, they go straight in there. It was those fellas not to pick on them but like there was a lot of people in there that were sitting there going oh yeah like you're saying that it's in one ear it's out the other I'll remember it for the exam is that the Dunning-Kruger effect to full extent I don't I think it's probably just naivety if anything I think it's perhaps just not understanding how useful some of what you get told is like Jason Weber's lecture like you're not retaining that I'm yeah. telling you right now you're not retaining that so Barry's the one packing away notes and he's got the most experience of anybody in the room so I think you kind of see the inversion there of him starting to realise how much he could get out of it so I agree with everything Alex said. Do it slowly. The courses that you mentioned that fit well as a fourth year undergrad, if that was there, are the ones you do at the start anyway, and they get better as you go deeper in terms of the experience. So if you did it like Alex is saying, and then you're working hopefully full-time, or a lot at least, as you go back and you get into the second and a half year of your master's, now you're ready for it because you've had two and a half years in the field outside of your undergrad. 
especially if you've done what I would recommend of some internships in your undergrad and that, you know, maybe you're in your fourth year of experience and now you're ready for it. I do think some of the later courses in the masters would be lost on someone who hasn't got a lot of practical experience. Yeah. You finished your masters. Where was the next step for you after that? Uh, just conveniently, already being in the industry, I was struggling to just keep up with my workload. And once the uh, once my masters was done, I was basically full time in the industry. That's the perfect case scenario. That's not going to happen for everyone. It's also very yeah, rare. Yeah, but that you drove gonna... forty minutes up and back for two hours of work for how many years? Ah, uh, the first three years were yeah, driving a fair way for not a whole lot. Um, and then just having to make that work. There were times when, unfortunately, you have to listen to a lecture whilst driving because that's just what was going to happen. Yeah. I do not recommend that at all, but this is, yeah, sometimes you just got to make stuff happen. It's not great for your learning nor your driving, but... No, <laughs> but Tapley's Hill Road doesn't move at a crazy pace, so... <laughs> South Road has always got some kind of works going on. It. Yeah. What was your main role, I guess, coming out of Masters at Flinders? Uh, I'd probably say about 15, 20 hours a week through our athlete development program which is a really cool thing. So any any student, it doesn't have to be full-time, any student at Flinders Uni can basically apply to be a scholarship athlete. And as long as they're at a state level or maybe they're in the development phase of making state level, um, they can apply. And then it's really just based off who's got the most competitive resume on who gets into the scholarship program. Sports in particular or really open to all? Oh, open. I've worked with more sports than I expected for my entire career in the last three years. It's just madness. And it's really, really cool. And stuff that I didn't know existed, which is also interesting. Um, but yeah, anything. We've got we've had aerobic gymnastics in there. We've had just your standard SNFL. I shouldn't say standard, but SNFL footballers and MPL soccer players and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, 10-pin bowling. I didn't think I was ever going to see an <laughs> SNC gym. Um, Damn. <laughs> and we've got we've had divers come through and national level gymnasts and we've got a pole vaulter that's just applied which I'm excited I never thought I'd be interested in working in the athletics realm but yeah like after working that I think the unique demands of every event in the athletics world is fascinating yeah. but yeah that's basically a large chunk of my role whereas we have 8 hours a week on the floor that they can come to and then obviously programming outside of that We've got some guys that turn up four days a week. We've got others that we see once a month, but we write their program and they know how to execute it in their own time. And they get a free membership as part of that anyway. High ground performance. When did that start? How does that fit into the athlete development program? That started when the world shut down. So <laughs> it's, well, when was our first big lockdown? Like March, two years ago? March 23. Which was also the end when I finished my master's. So conveniently the world shut down and there was no work. So I got to finish my master's on a high note and actually do well. Um, but yeah, started it almost, it was either create your own brand or die. Cause as far as we, this was before even JobKeeper kicked in. Like the first week there was nothing. Yeah, it was up. like fitness industry closed, see you later. Crushed, yeah. And I remember being like, oh, I've got enough savings that I could sit here for six months and do nothing. And there'll be people riding in the streets if there's no support that comes. But yeah, I almost, I, I created it purely, probably the big one. And it got started then because I had time. I'd always wanted to create my own brand. I think it's bigger this industry. If you move gym, you can't, well, you shouldn't take all of your athletes with you, but your reputation potentially stays at that gym too. So if, unless you can attach your reputation to a brand, it can shift with you. Higher ground performance now is mostly going online. So trying to um, provide like group programs and I like individual programs the best. You can guarantee results on an individual program. It's hard to guarantee results with a group template it certainly can happen the person has to be committed and actually do everything but um i think individual plan is the way to go but mostly online um but the necessary reason behind building it was just yeah reputation following you and this industry is huge like i was listening to your podcast the other day and you're talking about like starting a fast twitch and moving around and trying to get your inroads into a gym unless you've attached it to a brand and you've got a social media presence your reputation kind of just dies at each time you shift the conversation, I'd say well, six, seven years ago when I went out of uni, a lot of students were asking, when is it appropriate to make an Instagram page like for your training? It's day one, go. Yeah. It may be beforehand, it wasn't necessary. Now it almost is because you'll die by that sword because people want to keep up to date with what's going on in your world, what's going on with your brand, how you're trying to innovate and how you're trying to make a better product for the consumer. Mm. If you oh, don't have that. I also think if you're not on... I'd probably say Instagram from an educational standpoint. It's been phenomenal. SNC used to be this like 
closed off cloak and dagger industry where it's like no one gets to see my five by five squat cycle um <laughs> and, yeah there were all these like crazy ass trade secrets now it's like oh here are my progressions from like yeah like basic level like regressions in rehab right up to like end stage return to play and people are so open with it and i wouldn't say my content's well, previously it hasn't been super educational. It's literally just been highlight reels of me and my athletes. And there's nothing wrong with that. I wish I'd started earlier because you'd be able to see how bad I was. Like, I was a broken infantry soldier. It was just more is better. And I would love to see my mobility back then. It would have been atrocious. Yeah. And you would, be, you, would, you would thoroughly enjoy it if you start your fitness journey, having an Instagram for 10, 20 years, and go back and look at how you moved. I actually it's think disgusting. that's the real value to it is... Dan John gave some of the first coaching advice I've ever read in an article where he said you should have a coaching diary of this is what it did, this is what it did yep. well, this is what it didn't go up, blah, blah, blah. I'd say that for a lot of things, but especially coaching. And the Instagram can function as that because you can go back and look at it and be like, oh, well, I wouldn't do that anymore. And actually, maybe I've got away from that and I do like it. There's so many things you can keep from it. Like you are saying, just your own individual progression mm. of broken infantry soldier to all the things you do now. You'd move very differently. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and, and it can, it's a really good way of seeking feedback. Like, I have plenty of people that post it. I actually have clients that have a hidden Instagram and they post all their videos on there and then flick them to me and or I can just follow the page and just check them up. But there's nothing wrong with you posting something like, all right, I'm new to this technique, I'm not really even sure, and you can reach out to people. Yeah. I do not mind, look, I, I, well, most of us do it anyway, see a video on Instagram and critique the form. It's yeah. not a big deal if you, if you reach out in a DM and be like, how does this look? And get feedback because there's some wild techniques out there. There's a lot of coaches who are very open to that as well. I know some like really, really high level smart dudes that will happily field DMs, mm. myself included, if my coaching page is out there um, and you want help with a clean or whatever. Like, I'll help, you'll help. Like, there's, there's help out there. It's actually a really useful platform on that front. And you're never too good to reach out to a higher up coach. Like, I was saying to a client this morning, and he's like, he's like, oh, I get something right, and you, there's always something that you think's wrong. And I was like, your journey of like mastery is never going to end. Yeah. My deadlift isn't perfect. It gets heavier, and then something else breaks down. Yeah. And you've got to constantly rebuild it back up. And there's always going to be someone out there that can do it a little bit better than you. And that's just part of the process. And the discussion with other coaches for potential, honestly, employment opportunities or PD. I didn't know who Angus Bradley was before I saw him on Instagram. I love his shit now. Mick Surly, I didn't know who he was. Adam knew who he was. I love seeing those guys and what they're doing out there because you might get ideas for your own session. And if you comment on their post or just reply to their story, they're going to do the same thing for you and you never know what might come with the conversation. That's huge. It's probably one thing that I have gotten better at say the last six, 12 months is if I follow or someone follows me, I reach out and say hello. I'm not just the creepy dude in the shadows like following every content. It's reach out and say hello. Just one small interaction you do. There's too much pride of, oh, they followed me. I can't follow them back. Who the fuck cares? I'm yeah. sorry. Worried about that ratio. We're not yeah. 12 years old. We don't care about how many followers <laughs> that man. But very, very legitimately, true. it's like be an open book to people and they'll give you honest feedback. Just have a conversation. Exactly. With like, I think it's so simple. Barry said it in Perth, he's talking about people getting like really sought after jobs in Premier League clubs and shit. And he goes, it's just good people. And I was like, fuck, it's so simple. Like, and that's so much of it. You know, like you were saying, you have that interaction with the coach. They know your name, you know their name. Now it's like, ah, I spoke to that guy once and he was a good fella. You know, rather than just, it's someone in the list of a couple of thousand followers, you know, I don't fucking know who that is. Mm. So. And it's great for building community too. One of the strategies we used really, really early on just to show people who's training here and like make it mutual, tell their friends about it tag them how do you build a community tell the people show the people that are training here it doesn't have to be the professional athlete every single time it can be just your local guy that plays in the NPL SNFL even lower than that it doesn't really matter just get them interacting with each other and that's how you build that sense of community so if COVID does happen by the way these guys are still training at high ground performance they're still training at AAC it doesn't matter where do you see that model going like with the current like the worst they had the ep- like the pandemic but like we're relatively normal now do you sort of see you're gonna go another another gym or do you think you'll stay within the one model or what, what are your th- what are your long-term thoughts or he doesn't want I thought we were asking the questions yeah. here what just happened <laughs> <laughs> that's all very much watch this space um, yeah I we'll was see. like I probably should bring that up he probably doesn't want to reveal nah the- <laughs> When the first pandemic hit, well, well, let's call it the first like kind of lockdown hit, we had six months remaining on that lease and it was either extend that one or go look for a bigger one or just completely shut up shop. 
we automatically went into the zone of let's go bigger. We have the same mentality, I think, as yourself, where it's the, I don't mind having my back against the wall. Adam doesn't mind having his back against the wall. We're always going to try to reach that next step. How do we reach that? Do we reach that through a bigger online presence? Do we reach that through other facilities? Let's see where we go. COVID might happen again. It might shut everything down completely where we have to go to a completely online model or things might stay relatively similar or open up even more. Do we look at doing another facility from there? I think it's a big question, but things almost have to line up correctly. The right location has to be there. It needs to be at the right price. People still willing to go outside to train. What is the situation going to be? Yeah, it's been a funny one. Like the higher ground thing was sort of right place, right time. You had people... And even like Flinders, obviously people I used to work with like face-to-face, dropped off face the planet, conveniently got in before everyone else bought every piece of gym equipment in Australia and built a decent home gym. And I've got clients that's like, I am never going back to a regular gym. The convenience of my home gym and having a good quality program. So once you've paid off your gym, gym's free. What am I going to do with my gym membership? I'm going to hire a good quality coach. And I've got, yeah, probably over a dozen guys that have built home gyms. It's like, I'm not coming back. I love the program. I'm going to keep paying for good quality programming, but the convenience of my home gym is just insane. Yeah. And it ain't going to get locked down anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that one has stuck with people access Mm -hmm. and then they've realized how much training at many of the commercial 24 seven box gyms sucks with shitty music and a bad smell and, (laughs) you know, various other problems. So when they can, like you can do, you walk out the back and there's a squat rack there. Like this is sick. And no one can take that away from you. Yeah. And it can be huge. Like, I've got, like, some professionals who are also, like, young parents. They've got, like, young kids floating around. And it's like, I only have 30 minutes and my kid's going to be sitting in the room at the same time. Your home gym will allow that. And that was probably the key to keeping myself fit over that three, five-year period was if the worst thing I do is go out the back, warm up, and deadlift for 20 minutes, my deadlift's going to be better for it. And probably everything else will, too. It doesn't have to be this 90-minute session led by some high-level coach warm-up into 45 minutes of strength and 45 minutes of conditioning. It can be a 20-minute deadlift session out the back. Yeah. And I think there'll always be a place for this, but hopefully everyone's realized that you should also have some sort of home gym going because you never know when it's going to hit again. It's not quite as tunneled as I think a lot of people, including myself, thought it was. It's not just the dichotomy of gym or don't work out, you know what I mean? There's yeah. home and this and... People have really learned what they can do with body weight because mm-hmm. the people who didn't get on the train early like yourself and get gym gear, because I missed that boat, I got really good at chin-ups in the lockdown. You know what I mean? There's all these other doors that people have been forced to explore mm-hmm. rather than just, I go to the gym and bench press on a Monday. And I think commercial gyms, 24-7 gyms, even the big Durham gyms, they're always going to be around. But you're looking at so many of these niche gyms popping up all the time and they're here to stick around majority of them when we started up are still going if not bigger than what they were then so i don't think that is ever going to change yeah i think the cool part of those niche gyms is they've got a community of like-minded people yeah you can't go to dairy Mertz and expect to be squatting next to someone who's like-minded individual yeah. but if you go to like one of the strength gyms around or you go to one of the crossfit gyms around you're probably going to have someone with a similar mindset to you training next to you because yeah. you're not going to get that in these 100%. giant big box gyms i guess one of the questions that me and Adam were actually asking before you even came here, if there's something about the process for students, I guess, going out of third, fourth year, what would you do better for them if, I guess, you had the resources or uni had the resources? To transition? To, yeah. I think it starts sooner. And I've, you guys have talked about this a lot. And they are trying to restructure the undergrad of Flinders. So you'd graduate, well, you wouldn't graduate. Your first year, you'd finish, and you'd have a cert four in fitness. Like, it's ludicrous that that's not standard. Like... I was lucky I already had my surf in fitness. So I left the army and started straight into PT and some group group training. If Yeah, you need to finish cert three, four in that first year and you can start working in the industry and at least lets you know how little you know. I believe that our University of Melbourne already does that. All right. So it's something foreign to us in SA, but it's already starting to come along. Yeah, it'll take a restructure, but I think Flinders plans to be there maybe in two years' time. Yeah. That, that'll be one of them things that one will do it, then there'll be three, and then there'll be everybody. It'll be standard. Well, should be, though. the perfect scenario should be TAFE doesn't exist and you do a year at uni to get your cert four. And if that's what you want, go do your first year and just go away. Yeah. You don't you don't need this amazing... Well, hopefully they literally get their piece of paper in it, but it's, just a cert, it's not just a cert four in fitness, but it's your level one into the industry. That should be the norm. But outside of that, placements are good, but they still... 
They don't have the experience of prescription. And this is where, like, the exercise prescription is a great topic. You almost need exercise prescription too. Yeah. That is a little bit more example-based and discussion-based and p- pulling apart programs and putting together programs. I think like, there's a lot to that because if you look at the courses you do in an undergrad of sports science or exercise science or whatever the uni's called it, there's so many courses you take to a second level and in some cases a third level mm-hmm. that you don't even need to go beyond the basics but then there's something as big as X prescription that only ever gets left at an intro level and I think we could reshift it such that maybe instead of a third level of anatomy or a second level of biomechanics and when I went through the biomechanics teacher was a genius but it was nothing remotely related to sport <laughs> or exercise it was just the gait cycle and then biomechanics 2 was the gait cycle again instead of doing them two we could have done X prescription 2 and then got a lot out of that because nothing I learned in my undergrad of biomechanics has ever been useful to me again. And if you're interested in that niche, and there's probably 10, 15% of people in the undergrad, you can go and you can go specialize in biomechanics. That's it. We obviously have them. That's why they're out there. And we've got these like high-end labs. But you're right. Like, I think you do need that extra course. You do, And you can call it advanced prescription. And it can be an elective. But those that are taking their like development seriously into the industry are going to do it. Um, I don't, don't even think it was really addressed super well in our masters. I don't think anyone's really ever sat down with me and put access like programs up on the wall and be like, what do you like about this? What don't you like about that? We did it a little bit in our, in one of our topics with half and, but like everyone's got their own biases. So unless you've got a discussion going on, not rather than just someone telling you what's wrong and what's right, it's very hard to pull that out. And even then, I think that was one singular assignment. There mm. was one singular assignment we did that, and then I think it was in the same course, I think, the year planner we did for the rugby team. Yep. So you kind of do one of each side of it, that's it, ever. And you graduate, you can get out of that having never written. It's very conceivable that you could have a master's in S&C and an undergrad in sports science and have, have critiqued one program and written one program ever. Yeah, which is terrifying. That's backwards. It's yeah. very, very backwards. But I'd also put it to the industry, when was the last time someone critiqued one of your programs? I'm very lucky that we've got four. You guys do it. It's probably your point stands. Your point very much stands. On a fortnightly basis, I'll tell Adam Reese Jazz. What do you think? This is for this person. Tell me what's wrong with it. That's super cool. But like in most scenarios, it's not not the norm. Especially if you're perceived as like the big dog or top dog in your gym, no one's gonna want to even say anything bad. And half of them probably program exactly like you because that's all they know. And it, it can be very, very frustrating. We're very fortunate in the space that we have here. But when we get students in, we'll give them a, like a little bit of a template of how we, our thought process behind how we mm-hmm. actually program for someone. We'll get them to sit down and put them in through team, team build as part of the internship. And then they'll be like, why did you put that there? Why did you put it? This is what you can actually include. And it'll almost show what they put in too much. And then the flaws, of what are they missing in there? Because they get stuck in that one mindset of this is how I'm meant to do it. And that's all that I need to do. You got to think about the overarching goals of the program and what else is missing in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and probably the big one, and this comes from programming. If you haven't done a lot of programming, you haven't critiqued programs, progression, regression is huge. Mm-hmm. The exercise delivery at Flinders has changed heaps, and they do, I think they go two regressions and two progressions for a movement, but that's very new. Like, Kim Williams has changed that course significantly, and it's a great course. It's better than the one we went through, but that's going back five, six years ago, I'm sure. I'd like to think in ESAs has changed a little bit too. Um, but getting around that prescription one's tough. I think it takes another full topic. It's just such a big area. And then even when you you can study it by itself for a whole year, there's still more to go. It's a career's yeah. work to get good at it. Like it, yeah. It's one of those things that there's an endless level of depth and nuance to it. But I do think we're under-preparing relative to what we could do. There's always going to be limits on what you could do in a three-year degree. But we could do better than we currently do broadly. For sure. I, I think the only thing that got me away from that was having a passion for doing high quality like like having someone pay i paid i've paid for heaps of programs over even my undergrad i had a mortgage i was paying a coach it's part of your education yeah. it'd be nice if you could put it on the hex debt and pay it later but that's just not how it works but if you're doing programs you at least see structure and you'd be like i actually kind of like the way that's written that works well and going through someone else's thought process um that can be part of it but that only comes if you're super passionate which hopefully you are if you're doing an exercise science degree what weeds out passion. most people anyway tough industry if you're not passionate for sure yeah if you want to rack up that hex then then do nothing with it in the future which I'm sure <laughs> quite a few have done go Quite for it yep. yeah that's a hard one what do you see as the big flaw from common undergrads and how do we bridge it 
entry's too easy. Yeah. It's almost seen as in, I couldn't make physio, I couldn't make exercise physiology. Make it higher and I mean, make it more relevant. The degree's missold. The mm-hmm. degree, you, you're told you get a job from realistically. Like how many people go in and like, I'm going to be a sports scientist when I graduate, I'm going to go work with Paul Powell. <laughs> no, you're not. Like, or I'm going to get in, I'm going to do physio. The uni's not told them that no one gets in, in our undergrad at uni, so no one gets into the physio degree without a GPA of like 6.2. Mm. It's like, that's fine. I'll tell you that you can do it, but I don't think most kids coming out of year 12 like me have any idea or what it's like to maintain a 6.2 GPA. Which is wild though, because I haven't done the physio course, but I'd much rather have someone that's got, say, a 4.6 and super passionate about the human body and performance doing physio than someone with a super high academic level. 6.8. With, yeah, with no, no idea. No idea. Yeah. And like literally never been in a gym before. That's I it. remember studying with physio students like, oh, nah, never been in a gym. This is the first time. And it's like oh, dear. two and a half years into our undergrad, it's their first time in a gym. And I was like, this is insane. It's a problem, yeah. And with the jobs, how do I set up a private facility how do i set up my own online business i think uni is trying the way they've got foundations moving and sort of bending constantly to address needs they are trying to do it but obviously it's such a big top like how do you prepare people and especially such a broad degree as exercise science you're trying to prepare people for teaching the pathway to the allied health degrees like ot physio dietetics trying to prepare the snc coaches the true sport scientists performance analysts like Mm. it's hard to cater for all of those it is a very yeah at the moment it is a very general degree even exercise sports science is just so many things you're right and i think the uni might do well to be a tad more open about that at the start of this is a pathway degree it's not you can go study teaching and get a job in teaching immediately after you graduate Mm -hmm. nursing's the same there's you know engineering whatever it's not always easy to get those jobs but there is a job it's not like that from exercise and sports science. So I think they maybe need to be a bit more open about that. And that might then help with people coming in are going to be more, perhaps more driven to have an outcome rather than floating through it and then coming out and being like, oh, I guess I'll go be a PT. And then being a crap PT because they're just floating through it. I was speaking with multiple placement facility coordinators and also the placement coordinators from, I think Flinders was included in it. And they asked, what should be one prerequisite of getting people into this degree I'm like they should exercise they're like we can't force people to exercise just saying it wouldn't hurt I know that you can't but it wouldn't hurt there's a there's a logistical practical problem to doing that but your point is true yeah, yeah. like if you get people come in and they're like I hate exercise to pick an extreme example it's like why are you here you know yep. what I mean like it, you're gonna spend a fairly substantial portion of your life either in Telling a gym people. or on a track yeah. like mm-hmm. you might want to be and if you say you want well, to help people, help people in other ways that you're passionate no, about. That's it. Go find your ways to help people. You don't have to do it through exercise. But if you don't like exercise, don't pick exercise. Yeah, it's a good point. It's terrifying when you see a third year doing placement who clearly has no interest being on the gym floor. Yeah. No interest being out on the field. It's why we have an interview process for quite a few of the students that come here from placement from universities. Do you like sport? If not, you're probably not going to enjoy it here. Hang on, you interview your placement students on whether or not they can be a placement student here. Yes. Oh, I wish I could do that. But legitimately, it's like... We, we didn't start that way. We, we, you, at the very beginning, when I went to Mickey, I said I want an internship program here. It's something I've always wanted to do. I'd love to create it. At the start, I was like, I'm going to change the fucking industry and I brought everybody in. And then, it, yeah, practically, you only ever turn away one or two here and there. Like, it's very rare we turn away. Yeah. You have to for fit. Like, sometimes it's just a bad fit. And oh. when it's a bad fit, it ruins everything. I asked one simple question. Do you like sport? The answer I got was, I know sport. I'm like, yep, you're definitely not for this place. <laughs> I'm like, you're either passionate or you're not. And I think that's what resonates around this building. It's like-minded people that literally have grown up in some form, some form of competitiveness. And if you're not like that, that's okay. There are other places to go, but... Yeah, and some, some of the ones we've had come through and perhaps not be great for this environment, they'll be great OTs or speech pathologists or whatever, and they'll go help people a lot, but they just won't do it in this format. And that's okay too. I think sometimes... Maybe it's an Australian culture thing where we put such an emphasis on sport, people kind of railroad themselves to sport. It's like, if sport's not your thing, that's fine. But don't force it, you know what I mean? Because you'd, yeah. you'd be a crappy S&C coach or a crappy personal trainer. You just want to be a personal trainer and don't want to be attached to sport, but you do want to exercise. That's cool too, you know what I mean? There's various degrees of involvement in exercise. I think one terrifying thing for, especially for HP, people are scared to be a personal trainer. 
And I was like, it's pretty rare you see someone with a HP background that's done personal training be like, yeah, those three years as a PT, complete waste of time. Like, I did not learn anything. It has not benefited me slightly. The two and a half years that I spent at any time fitness were the two and a half most important years before I started this place. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, community, that place that we had, it was different. I got in there the first four months that it was open. It was so-called different to every any time fitness because everyone knew each other. Mm-hmm. What do you have to do when you start AAC? Make sure fucking everybody knows each other. These are the back end of the business. This is how you're going to roll. This is the people that they're targeting. This is how they do stuff. You've got to learn the ins and outs of that. And if I wasn't there, I only would have had one experience, which is actually a privately run facility that was actually pretty poor. And you know what? didn't end up working mm-hmm. whereas I see a franchise model that actually does work no it's not going to be exactly the same but I know there needs to be systems in place for that to happen plus still train people that are trained there they probably built the foundations of the gym themselves by staying on for so long and hopefully with the little of a service that they have been satisfied for yeah I think another big one with PT is someone's actually paying you to be there they don't have to be there the coach hasn't told them you have to go to the gym and train with the SSC coach they're paying you good quality money for you to hopefully entertain them whilst giving them a good product. Mm-hmm. Like your ability to communicate with a 65-year-old male who has never learned how to squat before and has no concept of a squat versus a hinge. You need to be able to have banter with that dude or he ain't coming back. He's not going to pay you whatever hourly rate. You also need to be able to like develop movement patterns for a middle-aged woman who's got three kids and no interest in the gym but knows that it's good for her yep. you need to convince her that you're worth her time that and money that experience is invaluable you yeah. can't shortcut that so I think Angus Bradley did a great job of, of like yeah sure you can train an elite athlete that bit's easy show me what you can do with someone who's 60 like that's a challenge and I think then like you said people emphasize the elite sport so much and that's fine like if that's the environment you want to go work in that's cool like I love working in that environment but it's not be all and end all and it's certainly not the highest test of a coach. Not at all. And I actually say that to our placement students. When you're, like, we have placement students for ADP as well as the regular gym. When we've got placement students watching our athletes train, I was like, I'm going to show this person how to clean. It's not, it's not going to go, it's going to go way smoother than if you were going to taught some regular person how to do an RDL. This person already knows how to manipulate their body, their, finance, uh, their like, movement literacy is through the roof. I'm going to be able to teach them how to hang power clean in, like, five minutes. And it's going to look pretty solid like you're going to spend 30 minutes teaching this woman how to do a hinge pattern with a pvc pipe that's going to be a frustrating experience don't expect it to go so smoothly as what you see in here because high level athletes you could you show them a video like this is a clean no work it out do the clean and they'll probably do a relatively good job of it so you can get in bad habits if you go straight into hp because you just see high-end performers every hopefully every day and then you get someone that doesn't understand something for the second time you get frustrated and you react to (laughs) it and you've lost the client for the rest of your life yeah for sure you just burnt that bridge and they've got friends and adelaide's pretty small (laughs) 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 alex been an absolute pleasure man yeah it was good thanks for having me on Thanks, man. Tell us your plugins, though, before we leave you. Where should they follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just Alex underscore Hoskin underscore or High Grand Performance on Instagram. Uh, and then same as Facebook, same as YouTube. Started to do a little bit more YouTube stuff, trying to put out some educational content because there's a lot of nonsense out there. That's for sure. But we'll see how we go. Fantastic, man. Thank you so much for being here today. Guys, Easy. we will see you on the next episode.